640 Toronto presents Think Tank. The breaking stories you care about. Facts and opinions that get you through the day. Now, let's meet the guests. Let's do just that. We welcome on former school board trustee. We've talked to her about education issues before, and we're thankful she's on Think Tank this morning. She is Noka DeKrub. It's great to have you on this morning. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Toronto City Councilor for Beaches East York. And apparently, um, yeah, I don't want you to typecast, hero to tobogganers everywhere. I mean, is there a World Tobogganing Federation, the WTF, which stands for something else? Are they? Uh, we're glad you're giving us your time today because I'm sure you, you're lined up for interviews. You've saved, you've saved the entire ecosystem of sledding in the city, Brad. People are giving you a lot of credit for this. Well, that's uh, that's gracious of folks, but to, to be honest, I mean, I, I can't see another outcome here. Parents were so outraged about all this. We can get into it, but I'm I'm just glad common sense prevailed at council. That's not always the case, but we got it done yesterday. Can we agree? Okay, so by the way, really quick, so you can give us some insight on this, and then I want to get Noka's perspective. They go in camera yesterday to talk about liability. You must admit that that probably was a fear of some of the signs being up in the first place, because I've seen it. You know, it's easy to Google in other jurisdictions. Uh, kid smashes into metal post, kid hits tree, sues city for not warning them that that could potentially happen. And often they win. They, there had to be a legal liability issue. These signs were up. Yeah, there was a legal liability um, conversation. And that's always the issue when we post signs that say use at your own risk uh, or other things. So that was discussed in camera. You can't get into too much of it. But uh, as you can see, at the end of the day, uh, my motion was uh, supported in a pretty significant way. I think it carried 23 to three. And so uh, the vast majority of councillors felt that it was important for us to be a family friendly city, a winter city, and that we can all assess risk and manage that both as parents and responsible adults. And of course our kids. Now, Noka, I like doing this on think tank. Let's talk about Brad. Like he's not here. The plan, <laughs> the plan is to put hay bales at the bottom of some of these Hills to protect the, you know, kids from uh, potential objects or running into trees or, or going too close to roads. But the goal of any teenager, and yes, I'd say young adult, uh, my bones are a little more brittle than they used to be, would be to go directly into the hay bales, would it not? You and I, If you and I were out tobogganing together, we'd have a contest to see who can hit the hay bale first, I think. Well, <laughs> maybe, but, but I think, you know, I think, um, I think the city is right to, to look at liability. Right? I mean, nobody wants kids to, to get hurt. Um, while they're out there having fun. Um, but but uh, like Brad mentioned, you know, we, we do have to make decisions and parents have to make decisions. Um, and having the signs there um, to explain the liability or not the liability, but explain yeah. the potential dangers and, and warn, warn uh, parents and children and, um, and teenagers um, should should be sufficient rather than ban people from being able to do things not that you, you would would that ban have even been enforced like how would they have enforced well, this, that yeah this is the funny thing about it it's like we have so many of these stupid bylaws on the books that we have very little intention or even possibility of enforcing like the idea that we're going to send bylaw out there to give little jimmy a ticket for tobogganing with his friends on an afternoon is is embarrassing and ridiculous so I'm very much of the view we don't need to be posting bylaws that we have no intention of, of enforcing or following up. That kind of gets into the liability. Like, are we really doing ourselves any favors if we actually have no intention on following through? And so then it, it comes down to let's not just put our head in the snow here and pretend that nobody's tobogganing. Let's put those safety mitigation measures like snow fencing or hay bales 
in place where we need to. And then parents can make a decision, you know, to the extent that they need to bubble wrap their kids. Um, but that's for parents to decide, not the city. Yeah, yeah I agree. And and there are a lot of bylaws that just, you know, make no sense. And, and they're entirely unenforceable. And the city has no resources to, to enforce them. Um, and it, it kind of feels like you know, you're it's a over-controlled society for no reason. No, okay. this was the city that tried to ban street hockey. This was the city that tried yeah, to put on leashes. This is the city that wants to stand up a two-stroke motor ban on law equipment. Like, it's, it's just, it, it gets to a point where it's so ridiculous. This is why people get cynical on local government. And, you know, I'm glad yesterday that uh, common sense prevailed uh, there. Brad, I've visited some downtown Toronto homes and seen the size of some of these cats. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I don't think walking, you know, if you ever, like, I think letting them out and letting them walk and get some exercise, maybe a cat, like we don't have enough cat parks. We have dog parks. We don't have cat parks for exercise. I'm going to be pushing you. I, I know, you know, budget <laughs> deliberations are next week, but more cat parks in the, in the city proper is something I'm advocating for. I got my town hall tonight, Greg. So you okay, should I'll drop. By and, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to bring for tap arts. I'm going to bring Mr. Middens by, uh, and uh, he and I are going to uh, we'll, we'll give a deposition on the on that front. <laughs> um, more serious issue, and let me start with you, Brad. Uh, we talked in the summer, and obviously, you talked when you were mayor. Um, you had opinions about uh, safe injection sites, open drug use, and and I think this story, these two stories are linked. Police yesterday in Toronto had a, a news conference. They identified a third suspect in the killing of uh, this awful killing in the summer of a stray bullet of Carolina Hubner Makarat, 44-year-old mom of two. This guy they're looking for is 19, and they say he's likely fled back to Somalia. That that brings up Interpol issues and RCMP issues to try and extradite him. We don't have, for our listeners, an extradition treaty with the country of Somalia, but we're going to try and work with them on some front. And then I see the story in Belleville, which is a town of 50,000 people, um, Prince Edward County area, uh, east of Oshawa, and police told their citizens don't come to downtown in broad daylight between 3.30 and 4.30. They were treating 13 different overdose issues, um, investigating them themselves, police, and obviously having um, paramedics be there as well. So let me start with you, Brad. And I'm going to come to, to Noka, who's out in Mississauga. What are you seeing even, Brad, in your neighborhood? You're a counselor for Beaches East York. That's a more upscale neighborhood than some. But what are you even seeing on your streets and hearing from your constituents? Well, you know, we, we've got a methadone clinic uh, down the street from me here on Danforth. Um, you see some of the challenges, to be honest, challenges that come with that. Um, I think there is anecdotally, we're seeing more and more people uh, who are uh, using drugs right now, whether that's safe supply or otherwise. And that has an impact on um how people perceive the neighborhood. It has an impact on safety. It has an impact on small businesses. Small business break-ins are through the roof, um, you know, because it's a uh, small petty crime. Um, break-ins are up. You see people pulling on door handles on cars parked on the street, trying to grab some change. So all of that is emblematic of, of much bigger issues. Mm. But I think when it comes to, you know, the safe injection and safe supply conversation, uh, you can look to, the province of British Columbia is sort of telegraphing where they went, what didn't work and where they're having to pivot and go to now. And I wouldn't be surprised if those types of conversations are going to be taking place here in the city of Toronto, because uh, the idea of providing safe supply, well, yeah. there's the argument that yes, this saves lives. Yes, immediately somebody is not 
you know, dying on the street, and that's important. What we are not doing is providing the treatment or the pathways out of the cycle of addiction. And that is just as important um, because we're just prolonging the cycle of addiction if we're not doing anything, taking steps to stop it. Yeah, there's a four pillars drug strategy. And I feel like I'm talking about this every two days on the show. But the four pillars and this worked so successfully in a lot of European cities, Sydney, Australia, it worked. It's harm reduction, which is the one we're focused on right now. But it's also prevention, treatment, enforcement. And we're doing a really lousy job on the back end of the three. Noka, I want to get to you in Mississauga. Uh, and obviously, Mississauga is going to seek uh, a new mayor in a by-election uh, with Bonnie Crombie ascending to become leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. But I have to guess the potential new mayors in your community are going to be asked a lot about what they do here and that and that delicate balance between um, being respectful, not stigmatizing people, but also what's on the streets and making sure kids and families are safe. Yeah, I agree with you. But and and so I, I used to work in healthcare for many years. So I'm quite familiar with um, with addiction issues and the system. And and unfortunately, Brad is right, and you are right. You're right. Um, there's just not enough. Uh, there's no treatment options, right? It's very difficult for people to be able to access treatment, even when they want to. Um, so you know, it's it's a little bit. It's a little bit hard to um, think of it from a local issue because it's I think it's more of a provincial, even potentially federal issue. There's no access to treatment options in Ontario for people. So all we have is safe injection sites, which are doing their part in this to prevent people from from overdosing, um, you know, and, and you know, using uh, unsafely. Um, but that's not the that's not the only thing we need. We need people to be able to access treatment for long-term um, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. sobriety and being able to move forward with their lives. And we don't have that. Yeah, that's a huge factor right there. It, it has to... Yeah, we, we got to end up meeting people where they live, Noka. I, I think it'll be fascinating to see where that policy goes. And and as we, we know, I've heard from a number of mayors. We had the mayor Whitby on earlier this morning. Mayors of GTA suburbs are looking to the province and looking to the provincial yeah. government and saying, you can give us a little more with health care. You can give us a little more in terms of fulfilling those other three pillars. We don't have the revenue and we sure don't have the staff to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also the spaces, right? Like, where yeah. do people go? Um, you know, so some some treatments uh, require inpatient stays, right? And we don't, mm. we just don't have those uh, spaces available. We don't have the, those services, and if and if we do, they are very expensive uh, and or have extremely long wait lists. People are waiting for years to get in. Brad, I want to circle back to you. We had um, uh, one of your colleagues, James Pasternak, on earlier, and there was a motion yesterday uh, to develop a, quote, policy and framework for the management and monitoring of rallies and protests. I think these have been a little bit less in the news, but they are still happening to some extent. I also think some of the reason they've been in the news less is I think police have sort of snapped to it and are doing things that maybe are more popular in terms of policing uh, these rallies and and things that get out of control and some of the hate speech that we've seen at some of them. Um, so I, I think there's a better job being done there. But you voted for James Pasternak's motion. Can you explain to the audience what the motion is and how how it may change how we view these rallies and protests or for any cause? Well, kudos to James Pasternak. He's worked very hard on this and and not just yesterday, but in the years leading up, because it is challenging to have a policy framework in place for the management and monitoring of of rallies and protests. 
uh, and hate speech here in the city of Toronto. It's it's challenging because of the size and the scale of our city and the geography, and you see that with how the protests are playing out right now. It's also challenging because of jurisdiction and and you know the the relationship with the constitution and freedom of speech. So it's not an easy issue. But I think if you look what's happened over the past seven months and even kind of the past couple of years, I think you can see that civility in the city has been breaking down with respect to protests, with respect to blockades, the targeting of, yeah. of Jewish businesses, shutting down the Gardner, what you saw happening on the Avenue, Avenue Road Bridge over the 401, where communities are systematically being targeted, where businesses are being targeted because who lives there or who owns the business? And so, you know, it's, it's, it's cases like this where the city really needs to work hand in glove with the police to ensure that we're keeping public safety and enforcing law and order. Like, again, you, you can't shut down University Avenue, you can't shut down the Gardner, uh, and you can't be targeting specific businesses or neighborhoods in a hateful way. So this was controversial. It was controversial because it's complicated. There's no easy answer to this. And I think the staff, frankly, will struggle with standing something up that's going to be effective. But what we're doing right now isn't working. And so, you know, big kudos to James for for taking the lead on this and getting it through council. And, and worth noting, Mayor Chow voted for it along with you and along with Pasternak. And, and I applaud her for doing so. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, it's this is the thing. You can't be... Uh, you know, just a, a radical activist on the outside, like um, Mayor Chow is leading the government. Mm-hmm. And to her credit, uh, she is having those meetings, sitting down with community uh, across the city and all communities. And I think she's she's hearing that this is mm-hmm. a, a problem that needs to be addressed. And she was on the right side of that boat. I, I want to flip uh, NOCA to an education issue because I sure want to get your expertise and let you stretch this out. But uh, we saw a poll from the OSSTF, the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, 35%, and I feel like we've done these polls before, and it, nothing seems to change, but the numbers just start growing up and creeping up. 35% of their teacher members reported having physical aggression used against them. 80% of educational assistants reported physical aggression. So this isn't, you know, feeling unsafe. This isn't about a a, a mental uh, concern or an emotional concern about physical aggression, Noka. This is actually happening. When you see these numbers... Is there any sort of fail-safe solution? There may not be a quick fix, but are there are there puzzles, uh, pieces of the puzzle we need to put together to make sure these numbers go down? Yeah, absolutely. The biggest issue in public education, when it comes to violence in schools, when it comes to student behavior, is we don't have enough social workers in schools. We don't have barely have any social workers in schools. We have one social worker for what, like every six to ten schools in this province. It's ridiculous. Where where are the supports for students when when they're um, when they're struggling with with uh, behavior? Where, where are you know the opportunities to to work through uh, emotional needs that are not being met? Um, these are kids, right? Like you know, even when they're in high school, they're what seventeen years old. Um, maybe the, the eldest one just turned eighteen. The reality is, that, you know, whenever you we see uh, students um, displaying terrible behavior, there's emotional needs that are not being met. It's a cry out for help and we're not we're not responding to the needs. All we're doing is and you know, teachers do their best. They do their absolute best, but they're not social workers. They're not trained in mental health. One of the things that kind of um, threw me off a few I think it was a year ago almost, the province decided to 
update the curriculum and include uh, mental health, um, you know, education. That's nice, but who's teaching it? Teachers are not qualified yeah. to, to teach mental health uh, to children. They, do they even understand the stuff that they're, they're talking about? And it's only because they don't want to invest in the supports that kids need. Can I push on the social work aspect and say, I yeah. think that has to go in concert with a deterrent. And I worry, I hear from teachers all the time. They got no reason to exaggerate or lie. And they say, I can't discipline our class. I can't send kids to the office. Principals can't suspend kids anymore. I know the feeling I had when I'd walk up to the line with a teacher, with a principal on the schoolyard, whatever. And I knew not to cross it because of how much trouble I'd get in. Does that factor in as well? So, of course, discipline measures factor in uh, for sure. But I, I disagree. I've seen kids get suspended and for, for small things in PO. Like, I've, I've seen... Things get so escalated that is entirely unnecessary um, in some cases. So I disagree that okay. it's not okay. Do some administrators turn a blind eye? Maybe right, and then the school boards need to look at how effective those administrators are. If there's a problem at a school, we need mm-hmm. to look at how effective the administrator is and how um, how they're dealing with it. Because this is not happening in every school, but it is happening in pockets. Yeah, hey, Brad. I, let me get let me get Brad in and, and ask him about sort of how he relates sort of that that aspect of going through elementary and high school. And, and you're a parent of, of young kids now who aren't really deep into the, is, is your oldest in elementary school yet? Not yet. Right. Or, no, no. Right. A couple years still. So um, so I know you're hoping some of this gets tidied up to the points that Noka made when uh, when your daughters are going through school. Clearly, you'd want that. We've seen a story east of where I live in Oshawa which sounds nightmarish. Uh, elementary teachers don't want to be there. There's three grade eight girls that, that were allegedly not just terrorizing other kids, but students. And, and again, I, I get why administrators feel really handcuffed by this sometimes. Yeah, I think Noka made a lot of good points there. Um, clearly, there needs to be some more support in the school there to help cope and manage this uh, you know i remember growing up there was there was the guidance counselor but i think the guidance counselor was really about sort of career advice or what post-secondary might look yeah. like uh you know and growing up there were there were some brawls um but it wasn't so much in the classroom it was kind of outside on the field during lunch and they usually didn't last very long um but you know i feel for the teachers in the classrooms because they shouldn't really have to worry about trying to get in there and separate people who are who are having a fist physical fisticuff. Uh, I do think about my daughter who's three now and, you know, she's, I guess, probably a year or two out mm-hmm. from JK. Uh, everyone there seems to get along really well, but something happens uh, as you start going through the grades. And I think particularly you start getting that grade six, grade seven, grade eight, grade nine cohort there. And uh, the temperament is, is challenging. And our schools don't seem to really be equipped both from, I would agree with you, Greg, like the discipline side, I'm not sure what the sort of consequences are when, um, you know, you don't necessarily feel like uh, there's any consequences for your action. And and also the teachers are not equipped to deal with people who are brawling in the classroom. Like that's not part of the job description. And I think the concern is increasingly, it seems to be more and more commonplace. Just as a follow, Noka, what I've what I've heard is teachers absolutely positively cannot put a hand on a student. And in my day, they did. If you were out of control, they would push like slide one kid aside. If you were in a bit of a battle with another kid or you're a wrestling match or whatever on the playground or even in the classroom, a teacher would break that up. Now, like they seem to be absolutely male and female 
under orders. Don't touch a kid. If he's tearing up the classroom, you get every other kid out and you let him or her do what they're going to do. And that's just not how it was 20 years ago. I, I, I want to find that sort of mental health balance, but also physical safety for other kids. And we're not, we don't have it right now. So uh, teachers and, and EAs do um, have, uh, you know, opportunities to de-escalate, especially, you know, if it's, if it's a student who's struggling, um, you know, uh, with special needs, uh, they'll, they'll help them uh, kind of emotionally regulate and they do have training to do that. But I think the, the, the issues that, that, you know, we're talking about are a little bit more on the lines of, you know, kids are overall struggling after covid it's been very difficult for students. Um, you know, remember these kids were locked up for like three years of their lives and it was yeah. really horrible. And now they're coming back into to school environments and they're not knowing how to deal with all of this. And we just yeah. don't have the supports for it. Yeah, there is some of that. All right, I want to end on uh, on a note. And uh, sometimes I make a lot of bad predictions on the show, and they never come true. And and it it becomes pretty obvious that I've uh, I've had a bad take, as they say in uh, in sports parlance. But I want you to listen to the love in this person's voice, and and understand that the question could be popped Sunday night around eleven o'clock Eastern time. Here's Kansas City Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey. I was fortunate we uh, we landed in uh, Las Vegas just in time for me to turn it on on my phone and uh, catch her winning her 13th award, announcing her new album, and then uh, obviously the big one at the end, the album of the year for the fourth time setting setting records. It was pretty amazing. She's, uh, she's unbelievable. She's, uh, she's rewriting the history books herself. Uh, I told her I'll have to hold up my end of the bargain and come home with some hardware too. Look at that, a Grammy historian and one of the best tight ends ever to play in the NFL. Noka, this is magic. I know my producer Sheba Siddiqui disagrees. She doesn't think it's happening. I'm telling you, it's the wedding of the century later this summer. The proposal's coming. You're going to see Mrs. Travis Kelsey attend the Super Bowl and play six shows in Toronto. Is this going to happen? Yes or no? I hope so. It sounds it sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and, you'll, and we give it about 18 months. No, we don't. We want this to work <laughs> out well. Brad, come on. You're going to sit down, watch the Super Bowl, and you don't mind your Taylor Swift uh, sweet shots. You know that this is destiny between these two. <laughs> well, I think this would break the internet, right? Um, <laughs> look, the nice thing about sports predictions is uh, if you get it right, you can take a victory lap, and if you get it wrong, nobody remembers, and you're off the hook. So uh, we'll have to tune in on Sunday. I'll be watching. Hey, listen, I, I, I predicted perfection, Noka and Brad, for uh, for Tom and Giselle the rest of their natural-born lives. So, again, I'm not always right. I don't always – I don't, and I thought he'd be a patriot forever. So I don't always crack uh, – I don't always bat a 1,000 on these uh, on these fronts. 